to the Diabetes Revolution podcast with Dr. Sarah Townley, the type 2 diabetes coach, clinical pharmacist, and mom of six angels. You don't have to struggle and fight with your blood sugars for the rest of your life. I'm here to teach you the skills you need to control and even reverse this disease. There is such a thing as getting off your meds and creating a future free from diabetes, and you can have it too. Let's get down to business. Hey, hey, I have been thinking about you guys all week. I dropped those five episodes with the launch, and last week I was on vacation. I went with my husband on a midlife crisis road trip. <laughs> he turned 40, and I'm turning 40 in December. And so this year we decided to leave our kids at home and do kind of a throwback to what we used to do before we had kids, which is road trip, hit national parks, and hike the most difficult epic hikes that we could find in some of the most beautiful places in the United States, our own national parks. Yeah, it wasn't until I started dating my husband that I've I've been married now for 15 years, but it wasn't until I started dating him that I realized, hey, we don't need to leave the United States to see some jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring views like we have them right here. So that opened me up to all these amazing experiences. And last week we spent all our time in Utah and the best hike we did is such an awesome story because his birthday was actually on Monday and we, he had this idea. He wanted to hike the Zion Narrows. And if you haven't ever seen pictures of this, you definitely need to Google it. But the Narrows are a world-famous hike, and it requires a permit to hike from the top down. It's 18 miles, and you start up out in the middle of nowhere, and you hike way down into this slot canyon, and you just hike down it, and m- much of it is through the water. You do hike a lot in the water. It's like maybe knee-deep, thigh-deep at its deepest points for most of the hike, but it's pretty, you know, it's rushing water, so it's ne- not necessarily the safest thing to do, but... Um, I scored the last two permits, you guys, on his birthday. There was like a couple on the 30th of September, but every other day was sold out and there was only two more permits for the week we were going to be there. And that was actually on his birthday and I got him. So yes, we hiked the Zion Narrows amongst some other amazing hikes, but the Narrows was definitely the coolest. And it was just such a cool thing that... God was made sure that Alex was going to have an awesome birthday, (laughs) and it was. The permit lady was so scared, though, that we weren't going to get out of there in a day. She said, oh, it's going to take at least 12 hours, or you're going to be cutting it really close. You're not going to, you know, you're going to need to pack some really uh, carefully, pack carefully some emergency provisions in case you get stuck inside the canyon, um, What you know, overnight, And if you miss the last shuttle, the Zion National Park free shuttle at 8.15, if you miss that, what are you going to do? Like you're going to have to walk miles to the visitor center where you parked. And so we hustled. The first three miles was actually in like some meadows and a flat trail. And so we ran those first three miles. And you know what? We got out of there in eight and a half miles or eight and a half hours. So we felt pretty awesome. (laughs) 
Um, Okay, so enough about what's been going on for me. Today, I have an awesome topic for you. I'm so excited to share it with you. It gets me a little bit passionate, lights a little bit of a fire under my butt. Sometimes I get a little uh, intense about this topic, but it's so important. And I want to bring awareness for you to this topic because it's really going to change, I think, how you view your health, how you view your strategies for how you want to deal with your diabetes. And it's going to sort of pull the wool back from your eyes so you can see clearly what needs to be done, or at least the beginning of how you want to approach your problem of type 2 diabetes. So this podcast is all about the biggest lie that about type 2 diabetes that's told to you in the doctor's office. And, you know, I have to tell you, I I call it a lie, but it's not a lie that's necessarily being told consciously by your doctor. It's sort of this dogma or this belief system that is prevailing in our healthcare system. And it's so pervasive and so believed that it's not even questioned. Okay, so this is what I will call a lie, but it's essentially this idea that your A1C, your blood sugar levels, are the only and the best predictor of your future health with type 2 diabetes, right? So think about it. Every time you go to the doctor for a diabetes checkup, there's this big event that happens, right? You're going to have a bunch of questions and questionnaires. They're going to look at your feet probably. They're going to make sure you're getting your eye exam, all the things. But the thing we're really kind of holding our breath for is that A1C level, right? We're going to want to know what's the A1C. And it's what your doctor wants to know too, because it really determines if there are decisions that need to be made, if there are changes that are going to happen at that doctor's appointment. And so this A1C is just a three-month average of what your blood sugars have been running. And I will tell you that it's not perfect, right? And it's also not exactly an average. Why I'm going to just interrupt real quick to give you a little bit of insider information that I don't even know if most of my docs knew, which is your A1C level is more heavily influenced by the last couple, three weeks before you get it done, okay? We say it's a three-month average, but it's not exactly an average. Like, I've seen people's A1Cs drop from 14 to 7 in three months. The biggest drop I've ever seen, which did happen, is 15% to 5% in three months. So, of course, if they're rolling in at 5%, at the end of that three months, their blood sugar readings for the last several weeks leading up to that were gonna be dramatically different than those that were your that those that the blood sugar were running at in the beginning of that three month period, right? And so that's why I want you to know that it's really those few weeks leading up to the A1C that are going to really heavily impact what that number comes out at. And so it is possible to drop your A1C or have your A1C dramatically, you know, within that three-month period of time. So back to how we use that number. The A1C is going to drive the decisions in a person's medication regimen and any lifestyle changes they're thinking about making or have been making. It's going to govern the strategy, right, that you're 
using to control your blood sugars. It's that ball that we're keeping our eye on, right? And it's this measure by which we say that whatever we're doing is working or not working, or it's good or bad that we've made that change, right? And it's all, all of this is centered or couched in this belief that if the A1C is controlled, that your diabetes is controlled. And in this podcast episode, I'm going to show you why that's not true and how believing this can actually be a a huge mistake um, for you in the life course of you having type 2 diabetes. So before I get into the data that shows you that it's not true, I first want to explain that most of the studies that I'm going to talk about that illustrate for you how this is not true are going to be measuring the complications or the the occurrence or the frequency by which people develop complications from type 2 diabetes over time. Okay, so when I talk about a trial and I say, you know, the outcomes didn't improve or didn't prove, I'm talking about the complications that people have over time from type 2 diabetes that is uncontrolled or what, as I'm about to show you, even when it is controlled. And these complications include things like nerve damage, right? We call that diabetic neuropathy. Uh, Another microvascular complication is eye damage, eye disease. We call that retinopathy. That's why they look in your eyes every year to make sure there's nothing funny going on. There's also kidney damage, and we call that diabetic nephropathy. Okay, these are dam- this is damage that's happening on a very microvascular level. Very small blood vessels are being damaged, and it's leading to these problems. And if you don't know what peripheral vas- or peripheral neuropathy is, it's that painful diabetic neuropathy, right? So it's like that tingling and um, sometimes numbness and even sharp jolting pain that usually starts in the toes and works its way up the legs, starts in the fingers and works its way up the arms. There's a lot of other kinds of complications, but these are the biggies for measuring outcomes in diabetes. And then there's those macrovascular complications that we know are important to measure and protect people from. And those include heart disease, you know, heart attacks, revascularization procedures, and then strokes. We want to prevent all of these kinds of complications because they're people who have type 2 diabetes are at high risk for these. So now that I've done a little nerdy science with you or nerdy, you know, lecturing with you, we're going to jump into why I say that this lie that when you think your A1C is controlled and you think that means your diabetes is controlled, why this is a lie, okay? So there are some very large trials that I'm going to talk about, but what I want to show you is that the reason or where this came from is really rooted in a large landmark trial that was done in type 1 diabetes that was called the DCCT trial. It was done in a large group of people, over 10,000 people, and they were followed for many, many years. It was published in 1993. But remember, we're talking about people with type 1 diabetes. And what this landmark trial demonstrated is that when you control blood sugars 
in people with type 1 diabetes. You have enormous, you know, uh, mind-blowing benefits with regard to these outcomes. You know, you see eye disease incidents falling by 76%, and you see, you know, kidney disease falling by 50% and nerve damage falling by 60% when you control the blood sugar tightly in people with type 1. They actually followed these people for 17 years after this trial was published and they called this repeat or this re, you know, this publication that followed EDIC, E-D-I-C, and it, it followed 90% of the original participants of the DCCT trial. And what they found was that over that course of time, there was a 42% decrease in heart disease in type 1s when their blood sugar was well controlled over that period of time. These results were just amazing. Nobody was questioning the value of controlling blood sugars in people with type 1 diabetes. Now, the fateful mistake that was made was trying to confer the benefit of blood glucose control for type 1s to type 2s, okay? And remember, type 1 and type 2 are completely opposite problems. Type 1 is an insulin deficiency where insulin is simply not being produced in the body. And type 2 is insulin resistance where there's too much insulin active in the body, and the body's just not responding to it. So two opposite problems. So thinking that the approach you would take for a type 1 to avoid these outcomes is the same as the approach you would take in a type 2 is where we've gone wrong. And we've been chasing this idea in healthcare that if we just control blood sugars, we're going to be able to avoid all of these complications just like we saw in the DCCT trial with type 1 diabetics. And this is just simply not true. We have not been able to demonstrate anywhere near the benefits of blood sugar control in type 2s as we did in type 1s. And there are a series of trials that have, you know, unequivocally determined that it's not the same situation. And I'm not going to bore you with so much of the science, but I do want to give you some of the data because I think that data stands alone, right? You can know the information and conclude things yourself without anybody else narrating it for you or drawing a conclusion for you. So first, I want to tell you about a trial called the UKPDS trial, okay? And this is one of the largest trials that was done in type 2s in history, Okay. It was done over 10 years and about, I don't know, over 3,000 people. And they were looking for this result of what would happen if they tightly controlled blood sugars in type 2s over, you know, just well, like normal control. Okay. And they used in, in, uh, they used insulin enhancing therapies. So not just insulin, but also pills that increase your insulin levels like glipizide and glyburide. And they tested over this period of time, 10 years, how much improvements did they see in the development of these kinds of complications in type 2s. And it was just not very impressive. There was a average risk reduction of just 4% in people who had tight control over people who had normal control. So that was kind of a flop and a little bit of a disappointment, right? And then the Accord and the Advanced trials came out. 
These, the Accord trial was in over 10,000 people, and the advance was in over 11,000 people. So these were very large cohorts of people. And they're testing essentially the same thing. If you can get the A1C below 6 or below 6.5% versus standard like 7 to 8%, could you see an improvement in outcomes? And the Accord trial actually was halted. It was prematurely ended at three and a half years because people were actually dying faster when they were controlling the blood sugar tighter. There was a 22% increase in the risk of death. Now, the advance did not show an increase in risk of death, but they didn't show any cardiovascular benefits with intensive glucose-lowering therapy. So that idea was unfortunately not realized. And then there were more trials that followed. There's the VADT trial, the origin trials. These trials showed no significant benefit in any of these kinds of complications either. And origin was actually done in pre-diabetics. So before anyone even saw really high blood sugars, right? And over a long period of time, they weren't able to demonstrate any measurable benefit for all these problems, heart disease, stroke, eye disease, Um, when they used insulin early to control blood sugars. Okay, so now that I've shown you some of the science, some of the data that demonstrates that there is this lie that is being believed and is actually guiding everybody's treatment strategies with type 2 diabetes across the world and, of course, within our nation, I also want to point out that these medications are not harmless, right? I mean, if you have been on medications for type 2 diabetes that enhance insulin, like insulin injections or pills like glipizide, gliburide, you know, glycolizide if you're outside of the U.S., glimepiride, these drugs that increase your insulin levels in a person who already has very high insulin levels are going to see weight gain. It almost always results in weight gain, Because insulin is a fat storage hormone. It signals the body to store more fat. And if you've gone back and listened to previous episodes I've recorded, like what is happening in my body, you're going to be aware that you need to liberate stored fat in those harmful locations in your body. You don't want to be storing more fat because that's what's causing your insulin resistance is that fat that isn't supposed to be in your liver, the fat that isn't supposed to be in your pancreas and isn't supposed to be in your muscle tissue. And so when you increase insulin, you're going to get more insulin resistance and it's going to make you gain weight. In addition, insulin-enhancing therapies are going to expose you to the risk of a low blood sugar. And for those of you who have experienced that, you know that this is not a minor side effect. It's life-threatening, it's very serious, and requires immediate medical attention. And there are over 100,000 visits to the emergency room every year in the U.S. It's just directly related to a low blood sugar event. So when you know that your primary strategy in the doctor's office is to control the A1C, I want you to think about it as being like treating the smoke from a fire, okay? Because the high blood sugar is really a symptom of an underlying problem that needs to be addressed. And this is what I advocate when I teach my clients, is that You don't want to be so distracted and concerned with just controlling your blood sugars because 
if you're taking an approach that relies just on medications to do that, you're going to be missing the actual disease process and the things that are driving the disease forward because you're so caught up in believing that it's just your A1C, it's just your blood sugar that matters. And we see this play out in people who are relying primarily on medications to control their diabetes, control their blood sugar, right? It's a process that slowly gets worse over time when you do that. More and more medications are going to be added over time. Eventually, people reach the point of having to inject insulin. And then those doses over time usually go up because the body becomes more and more resistant to the insulin as you increase those insulin levels. It's just the natural course of the disease if you don't address the cause of the disease. The cause being rooted in the diet, in the lifestyle of the person who is developing insulin resistance or has insulin resistance. So I don't want to leave you hanging, right? I don't want to be leaving you in this place where you're asking this question, well, if, you know, the A1C isn't the most important thing for me, if it doesn't mean when my A1C is less than 7%, if that doesn't mean that I'm safe necessarily from developing all of these complications from this terrible disease, then what do I do? What do I focus on? How do I approach this problem? Because you might want to, right? You might be thinking, I've got to reassess my strategies for how I want to approach a lifetime of insulin resistance. And so what I will tell you is that if you are a person who wants to take medications, I don't judge you, okay? There's, I'm not anti-medication, okay? But I just don't advocate for it as a long-term solution. And there are there is absolute possibility that you can get off your medications even if you've been on them for years and years. Like I had a client recently who was on insulin for 10 years and other medications and he came to me deciding he didn't want to keep taking more and more. And you know what? It only took him about 4 months, 2 months to get off his insulin, 4 months to get off his metformin. And now he's, and recently he was taking a very small dose of Victoza, um, and that was slated to come off too. A1C was falling below prediabetes range, and it is possible to get off of your medications when you address what's causing the problem. And so if you are a person who's interested in that, what you're going to do is use lifestyle strategies that bring your insulin levels down. When your insulin levels come down, you can access your fat stores, liberate all of that stored fat in your organs, and become sensitive to insulin again. The insulin your body is making, okay? Not just the insulin that you would be injecting, but that too, okay? And so, I want you to keep following me. Now, if you're like, hey, I want to get down to business. I want the inside info. I want to know what I need to change right now. You don't have to wait for the next podcast. You don't have to wait until I talk about food, okay? You can follow me on my website. There is a free food guide. You can go to the free tools on my website, and I will put the link in the description or the show notes, okay? But you can also... You can also join my membership, you guys. I teach you in a 
spoon-fed manner all this information in a stepwise fashion so that you get that information without having to assemble it, validate any of it, organize it in your mind, and decide how to apply it. I actually walk you through the process of learning how to craft a lifestyle or a diet that will support you in your goals if your goals are to reverse your insulin resistance. Hey, and for fun, I'm just going to give you an awesome recipe. I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's one of my favorites. It's called white chicken chili. It does have some beans in it, but for the most part, it's pretty low carb and it's delicious. It's about this time of year in the fall that I want to eat this meal. And it is a amazing concoction of fresh bell peppers and jalapenos and onions with a rotisserie chicken and all its yummy juices. I even pour the fat in my, in my, from the, you know, the drippings from that rotisserie chicken. I put them straight into the chili and I um, put all kinds of yummy stuff on top of this chicken chili. I put like melted cheese and fresh cilantro and sour cream, all the goodness. And so I will post that link to that recipe in the show notes for you too. Because I want you to understand and know that you can enjoy your food and reverse your insulin resistance. You can love your food, look forward to your meals, get excited and enjoy your food and you can still reverse your insulin resistance. And I recommend that you try it out and start understanding that for yourself because I can tell you every day, but until you actually experience it, you won't actually believe it, right? So I'm just going to wrap up this podcast by asking you a thought-provoking question. And I want to do this with each podcast going forward. And you know what? I should just share a recipe with you guys every episode going forward too because it's so fun. And I love food and I love to eat and I also love to reach my health goals. And you can too. Okay, so the question that I want to ask you to wrap up this podcast is, now that you know this very important information, about the A1C and using it as the only measure of whether or not you're doing well with your diabetes, now that you know this, how does this change how you want to approach your diabetes for the rest of your life? All right, I'll leave you with that and I will see you on the very next episode. High five for tuning in with me today. You are getting smarter and stronger when you show up for yourself this way. You can get more free tools to help you control type 2 diabetes on my website, sarahtownley.com. And if you're serious about ending your struggle with diabetes, join my membership, The Diabetes Revolution, where you work with me in a community of people just like you. See you on the next episode.